Well, you found your way to Exodus 33, and we'll be getting there in just a moment or two or so. But this morning, what we're going to be doing together is uh, by looking into the scriptures in regards to our mission together as a church family. This church family has a mission statement, and if you're a member, you should already be familiar with the statement. If you're not, um, then we have uh, miserably failed uh, in uh, putting that in front of you. But it's good for us as a church family to be reminded about why we exist. Our mission statement reads, We exist to display God's glory by making disciples through the gospel of grace. And this statement, along with the five core values that accompany it, it those, this, this statement reflects those deep doctrines and rich truths of God's word about why we exist and who we are and what we plan to emphasize together as a church family. And so this morning, we're going to be looking into the scriptures about God's lofty purposes for us as a church family. I want to make sure that we clearly understand what's not happening this morning. I am not trying to exposit, and if that word doesn't make sense, I'm not trying to preach a sermon out of a mission statement as if it's inspired scripture itself, the mission statement itself. It's not. But this, the mission statement that we do have is expressing these deep doctrinal truths that are found in the scriptures. And I believe that a clear understanding of our purpose as a church is essential for our obedience to God as a church family and for our shared joy as a church family. And the more joy that we find in God's purposes for us as a church, the more obedient we will be to him. And the more joyful and obedient we are to our great God and, and live out his purposes for us, then the more glory he receives. And so the more that that happens, then the more successful we will be in fulfilling God's mission for us as a church. It's been said that God has a mission and his mission has a church. And we need to then be making sure that we stay on task, centered on the mission that God has for us as his church. So today in this sermon, I'm going to be taking our church mission statement and dividing it into three sections. And again, um, these sections in and of themselves, this mission statement is not what will change your life. It's not. God's word by his spirit was what will change our lives. But in this mission statement, we see expressed for us these rich truths found in the scriptures. And what I'm trying to do this morning is use our mission statement to remind us of those truths together as a church family. So the first section that we have here is we exist to display God's glory. We exist to display God's glory. I don't think that statement is a surprise to, well, certainly not to any of the members here at Highlands Baptist, um, but probably not to, to most folks in this room, that we exist to display God's glory. The problem is, if you're anything like me, you probably find yourself needing to work against the tendency to interpret and understand everything in life in relationship to you. <laughs> this human condition of elevated self-interest is a problem because as we read in the scriptures, we learn more and more that God has created us not for our own self-absorbed purposes, but we've been made for God's glorious purposes. The Genesis account. Uh, when you begin to read uh, the creation account in Genesis, we become really presented right away with the centrality of God and his glory in creation. The account hammers into our, into our understanding over and over again when God repeats that he would make something and then he would declare that it was good. And he would make it and then he would say that it was good. And we kind of just read along with that and say, yeah, okay, you know, God's you know, in the business of making good things. But we need to also understand that it was God who is the one who is determining, who is making the judgment that it was good. 
And this is before man was created. There wasn't anybody, there wasn't like a, a focus committee that was saying, well, God, you know, we'd like to give you some feedback on that. And actually, we think you can improve this. No, God was making it and he declared it and it was good. And this shows us that mankind is not the center of the existence of the universe. God is creation and we are part of that is ultimately all about God and for the glory of God. And again, I'm not saying anything new to any of us, but it's helpful for us, right, to be reminded of these truths. But then what do we mean when we speak about God's glory? It's kind of this abstract thing that sometimes can elude us in our understanding. Well, I believe one of the best ways that I've heard it described is that God's glory is the sum total of all of his unique excellencies. And what does that mean? Well, an elephant has something that is unique and is about it. It's a unique excellency of an elephant. And all of you are thinking of an elephant right now and you're thinking of the dis- one of the distinguishing features is this big trunk that comes down. Or maybe you're thinking of the massive feet of the elephant. I'm not sure what it is, but you're thinking about something that is unique to the glory of an elephant. Or maybe it's an alligator's thick hide. Or maybe it's the rattle of a snake. There are excellencies that mark off God as unique. We know glory when we see it. You walk up to the Grand Canyon. I've not done this, but I've seen pictures. But uh, maybe one day the Walker family will do this. But we walk up to the Grand Canyon and you look out and you see glory. You know glory when you see it. We see the, the roar of the Niagara Falls, hear the roar of the Niagara Falls or the majestic flight of an eagle and we can recognize glory when we see it. Well, God has features and excellencies that are unique to him. And in other words, God's unique excellencies are his glory. And that's why I had you turn to Exodus chapter 33 this morning because you might be asking, well, then what are the unique excellencies of God? I mean, we get it with an elephant in a trunk and an eagle soaring through the sky and maybe the mountains or the roar of a waterfall, but what about God? Well, in Exodus chapter 33, we are presented with a conversation that Moses is having with God about his glory. It's in Exodus 33 and it leads into chapter 34. Beginning in verse 18 of Exodus 33, It reads, Moses said, and he's responding to God, please show me your glory. And he said, this is God responding, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, There is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now down in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 5, the Lord does this. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, Moses, there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And what is Moses' response to this? And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. This is just one account where we, in a way, God is revealing, showing us His glory. And He does it through the Word, through His name, through His, His unique excellencies of a God who is steadfast in love and merciful and a God who forgives transgression and sin. 
And over and over again, God's glory presents itself to the reader in the scriptures as the reason and purpose for God's actions. Now that collides with our modern day notions where we like for everybody to be making much of us. But the scriptures are proving and showing to us that really we exist to make much of him. So the reason that our mission statement as a church reads, we exist to display God's glory, is not because the elders kind of thought, well, this is kind of trendy and it'll work for a while, but it's because it's what we read in our Bibles that we learn that God is passionate for his glory. In the English Standard Version of our Bibles, the phrase, they or you shall know that I am the Yahweh, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that is found 88 times in that English translation. The Psalms is chock full of invitations and commands and exhortations to praise God and to sing for God's joy and to exult in God. And all of those behaviors are connected to God and His glory. Sometimes we might read those commands and think, man, I've got to just kind of be this you know, joyful, praising, you know, talking about God all the time. This is like work. We're missing it. It's like telling a kid that you need to enjoy eating your cake now. Well, of course the kid's going to enjoy eating their cake. Kids love cake. Well, m- most kids, right? Maybe you've got a kid that doesn't. But um, we, it'd be like somebody saying, you've got to enjoy the candy bar now. Well, of course you're going to enjoy it because it's delicious. All of those behaviors are connected to God and his glory. That's why we are going to sing and exalt and praise God. Psalm 96, verses 1 through 3 Uh, These behaviors are connected. Look at this. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Why are we singing? Why are we praising? Because his glory. We want to declare God's glory to all the nations. Or Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. Again, God is commanding His creation and all his peop- all the peoples to praise Him. Why? Because He's glorious. So you might be saying, okay, I get that God is all about His glory. And, but you might be wondering, well, how do we display God's glory? I mean, an elephant can display His glory with the trunk, and an eagle can display His glory as it soars through the sky. But how do we, right, dis- display God's glory? Well, if we exist to display God's glory, I believe we must be passionate about God. We will only display the glory of God to others in as much as we ourselves are enjoying God. But the problem is, is we cannot manufacture a passion for God's glory on our own. It's impossible. But I believe that God is able to fuel our passion for him through enjoying him. So think about it. We all are passionate about something we enjoy. I don't think any of us are passionate about something we despise other than we enjoy how much we despise it, so we're going to tell others about it. Does that make any sense? But you get it? You know what I mean? But we all are passionate about something that we enjoy. I don't know what you want to choose. Um, I, um, I have told other people, I, I'm sorry, if I have used this illustration before, I'm sorry, um, but I have told other people, somebody when we came and candidated here uh, took me to Torchy's Tacos. And I know this is dangerous to talk about tacos on a Sunday morning when you're all hungry. But here we go. Um, somebody took me there and they said, you need to get this, uh, this particular taco. You need to get the Trailer Park Trashy. I never thought I'd hear those words coming out of my mouth from a pulpit. But um, you need to get this taco. And I said, okay. So I followed their advice. I had the taco. And I have told other people about that taco. 
I have, in a weird way, right? Now, God is not a taco, right? But I have, in a weird way, enjoyed something because somebody else recommended it to me, and I enjoyed it, and now I'm telling other people about it. We all understand that our natural response of our enjoyment in something is to give recommendations for others to enjoy because it's, it's part of the completion of our joy when we see other people enjoy what we've enjoyed too. The best way to display God's glory is to passionately enjoy God. So now I'm going to prove it to you from the Bible. We're going to go through a, a series of, of verses, okay? I'm going to have them on screen for you, I think. And we're going to walk through them to show how there is the connection between our enjoyment of God and our displaying of God's glory, how those two truths must go together. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. There's the, there's the terms of enjoyment, right? Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Or Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. There's the enjoyment. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. The gazing on the beauty of the Lord is to behold his glory. Or Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me. There's, the, there's enjoyment. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. There's the enjoyment. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. The sense of enjoying God and being in his presence and, and the sense of displaying his glory. Psalm 40. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, here's how we display God's glory. Great is the Lord. But the, expla- the, the, ex- the expression of great is the Lord comes after the enjoyment of God. Or Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. So then our mission statement as a church reads, we exist to display God's glory. That mission statement, that phrase there, is an invitation for us to enjoy our glorious God more and more. The reason we exist as a church is all about God. It is not about us. If you're a guest here, uh, we, we, we do not apologize. Our aim is not to entertain you. In fact, we're going to try to be obnoxious about not entertaining you. What we want to do is we want for us as a church body gathered together to have God be the central purpose for us. The most crucial issue for the life of a church is is the centrality of God. The most crucial issue for the life of a church is the centrality of God. And this is why we state in our mission statement, we exist to display God's glory. So you may say, okay, that sounds good. But how does any of that have anything with how I live my day-to-day life? I mean, maybe we can see how that works on a Sunday when we're all here together singing and, you know, doing good, spiritual good to each other. How is this going to help us in our day-to-day life? Are we really supposed to, as a church family, be existing to display God's glory? What is that going to look like on Monday morning at 10 a.m.? Well, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to look like for you at Monday morning at 10 a.m., But I'm going to just offer one suggested application for how this truth, we exist to display God's glory, which means it's an invitation for us to enjoy God more and more. Because as we enjoy Him more and more, we will will unavoidably be displaying His glory more and more. 
Here's just one suggested application how this truth can make a difference in our day-to-day lives. I'm going to apply it in the area of suffering because I think we all suffer. Understanding this truth radically alters how we endure suffering. Suffering is often a painful yet gracious sabotage of our efforts to find joy in non-ultimate things. I don't know how is your experience, but in suffering, it feels like God is just clipping the strings of the things that ordinarily you would find joy in. Whether it's emotional suffering or physical suffering or a combination of them. But because of Christ, Christian suffering is not a threat to our joy. But when we understand that we exist to display God's glory, and God does not exist just to make us happy and healthy and whole in a, in a kind of our human experience, that would be prosperity gospel. But when we exist to make much of God, to display his glory, then we can understand that suffering, even as horrible as it is, it is not a threat to our joy, but it can actually be used by God as a gracious intervention by him, by a God who is working for our joy, so that our joy would be more and more ultimately anchored in him. How might God intend, this is just one possible intention, how might God intend our suffering to teach us that greater joy, ultimate joy, is found in him. Now, I don't mean to minimize any of the suffering that's happening in this room. I'm not trying to cheapen it, or I'm not trying to tell you that you just need to kind of put a smile on and, and carry on. What I am trying to do is not minimize or trivialize your pain. What I'm trying to do is magnify the significance of your pain in regards to God's glorious purposes for his people. God does not waste our suffering. Even in, even, even in and through our pain and our suffering, God is giving us an invitation to enjoy him more and more. And sometimes suffering is one of the only ways that we get to see more and more of him with that clarity. Oh, that God would grant us an inflamed passion for him as we learn to delight and find joy and gladness in him more and more. This is why those seasoned saints can have tears running down their face in sorrow and sadness and at the same time have their hearts glad in the Lord something that it takes like a maturity, an experience, a seasoning in order to understand that. So whatever we do together as a church family, we must keep this single aim before us. We exist to make much of God. God, the centrality of God is what lies at the center of what is important for us as a church. Well, how will we do this? How will we display the glory of God? Well, this leads us to the second part of our mission statement. We exist to spread a passion for the glory of God by making disciples by making disciples, right? God has a mission and his mission has a church and we see some of that mission in Matthew 28 then that great commission where Jesus came and said to his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and here's the charge, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, as children of God, we're given the task of enjoying God so much that we invite others to join in our enjoyment. That's what making disciples should be for us. God rejoices and all of the heavenly host rejoices with him when a sinner repents. And you just, isn't this wonderful that God is so joyful and so generous with his joy that he's just kind of handing it out to us, saying, I want, I want you to enjoy me. And what we find in like Luke chapter 15, verse 7 it says, uh, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or Luke 15:10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
And that's not just because something good happened. It's because you now have a sinner who now is understanding how to enjoy God. That's why they were made. We also know from reading in Revelation what we as a church family are striving toward. We, we do. God is kind to give us this Polaroid snapshot of what it looks like when Christ's church has completed her mission. And it's found in Revelation chapter 5 when you have the saints of God, they're, they're singing a new song and they're saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What's happening there in that, that snapshot is you have people from all tongues and tribes and nations, right? People who, had, who were made disciples. Now they're all worshiping the one who made them into Christians, this glorious king. And so then if we will be obedient to our king, we must go and make disciples of the nations. And when disciples of the nations are made, we're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And as more disciples are made, there's more joy in heaven and we are displaying more of God's glory, which means we're going to be enjoying him more and it just continues on. So this then means that a church that is not engaged in the work of making disciples is not a church. We must pause and reflect and make certain as a church family that the centrality of God is where our gaze is. I'm not suggesting that making disciples is all up to our own efforts, as if I've just put a huge burden upon all of us, like we all need to go out and knock on doors and convince and persuade people to become Christians. God tells us that he's the one that makes Christians. He's always working for our joy. He tells us that he uses the power of the good news of Jesus by his spirit to make Christians. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But we need to heed Paul's words for us found in Romans 10. Hear the urgency here. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's glorious because they're going to get to enjoy God. They're going to actually see who God is and enjoy his glory. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Our enjoyment of God is not meant to be a cul-de-sac. As if we're just kind of being invited to have this wonderful kind of, you know, exclusive experience all to ourselves. The joy of God is meant to be shared. The joy of God is meant to be an on-ramp where we're encouraging others to join in our enjoyment of God. We're not presenting people with a plan just to be accepted so they can become some sort of religious variant in the world. We're inviting people to know and embrace and treasure the God of the universe. And so how might we apply this then? I was thinking through my own heart. I found needs in my own life as a pastor. We exist to display God's glory by making disciples. How much of my praying is, is in the orbit of disciple-making? How much of my, my looking around at the work that needs to be done is involved in disciple-making? What changes must I make, must we make, so that we actually pray for disciples to be made in 2019? In what ways is God asking us to risk our comfort or suffer inconvenience so that we as a church would fulfill our purpose of being engaged in the good work of making disciples? God has called us to be faithful in that work. He has promised to bring the fruit. How much of our expectations of the Christian life include making disciples? Or is our Christian experience Sunday services and songs and children's programs and 
Bible studies and how much of our expectations for the Christian life align with God's expectations that we would be making disciples. But it's important that we understand that making disciples is not a singular activity or an event. It includes an ongoing, lifelong work. Once disciples are made, they must be continually discipled, which is why Jesus said in Matthew 28 that that we are to be making disciples, teaching them to observe all things. That's part of making disciples. And this leads us to our third and the final part of our mission statement, where it says we exist to display God's glory by making disciples. And the third part is through the gospel of grace, through the gospel of grace. What makes disciples is not the church itself. It's not committed Christians It's not like Navy SEAL-level Christians. What makes disciples is the gospel. The gospel of grace is the power of God that brings salvation. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul declares that he is not ashamed of the gospel. And then he explains why he's not ashamed of the gospel. There's this joy, there's this gladness that Paul has in the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. That's why. There's nothing else in the world that can convert an enemy of God into a child of God. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel, if you're here this morning and this idea of the gospel seems unusual to you, you're not quite sure what it is, the gospel is the Christian news of God sending Jesus to be the perfect substitute and righteous payment for our sin. The gospel is the story of Jesus living a perfect life and paying for our sin so that all who would embrace and treasure him as Lord and Savior would be forgiven their sin. That's astonishing. God invented forgiveness. No, not people. God did. He would forgive their sin, give them new life in Christ, and promise and give them the promise that they would get to enjoy God forever. That's the gospel. There is no good news that you have heard that can compare to that good news. The gospel is what makes Christians. And the question this morning is, have you embraced the gospel? You may be sitting here, you might even call yourself a Christian, but if you have never repented of your love affair with sin and turned and embraced all that God has said he is for you in Jesus Christ, then, friend, you're not a Christian. You're just kind of going through through like a Christianity of some form, but God has never actually purchased and won your heart. But, friend, if, if you would embrace the gospel, repent and believe, then you would be on this path of greater and greater enjoyment of God too. So what do we teach disciples? We teach disciples the gospel. We're going to make disciples through the gospel of grace, and what, what you make disciples with is what you keep making them with, the gospel. So at Highlands Baptist Church, we will never outgrow the gospel. And I hope we understand that the gospel is not like training wheels for Christians. Okay, now you got the gospel. Let's get on to the better things. The better things or the more deeper things of Christianity is not leaving the gospel behind. It's understanding in greater measure the implications and the truth of God for us in the gospel. That's what it is. And so it is the pledge of the elders of this church to never stop preaching the gospel, to never stop teaching the gospel, because we believe, we are convinced from the scriptures, that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes Christians. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that takes people who blaspheme God into people that enjoy God. And that's why we exist. So the implications and applications of the gospel are endless. Paths of greater and greater enjoyment of God. In fact, I think it, it could be said, in fact, it has been said this way, that it, God is the gospel. What I mean by this is that the gospel of grace is the good news 
because its chief end is our enjoyment of the glory of God in Christ. The gospel is good news not just because, well, man, I have this problem with sin. I'm glad that got taken care of. But the reason that the problem of sin was taken care of is so you can enjoy God, so that you can know God, so that you can experience Him. And as we experience God more and more and see His faithfulness and His mercies and His forgiveness and His, his unchanging uh, holiness, then we will unavoidably want to tell others about this great and glorious God. The gospel, and grace, the gospel of grace invites us. It compels us and persuades us by God's Spirit to see and to savor and to enjoy God more and more. And Jesus brings us to the Father in a restored relationship because God, there's nothing greater to know or no one greater to experience than God himself. In fact, that deep ache and longing in your heart that all of us have tried to fill in millions of ways. And this is one of the most perplexing disappointments of life, right? That everything we enjoy ultimately stops providing enjoyment. It always falls short, eventually. But Christians have found the lover of their souls. And it's all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. This morning in the scripture reading from Ephesians 1, did you, did you catch the repetition of the phrase to the praise of the glory of his grace? Or to the praise of his glorious grace? I mean, here it's talking about all that God has done and why. It wasn't because, oh, look at all these, you know, these undiscovered gems of people that I just need to you know, help them find their true self. That is not the gospel. The gospel is we have a glorious God who's reached into the cesspool of sin and rescued us for the praise of His glorious grace. And that's what the hosts of heaven are doing today, right now. They are singing, Holy, 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 worthy are you, the Lamb that was slain. And we get to participate in that too. So from start to finish, the gospel is all about displaying the glory of God so that we might enjoy Him forever. So we exist to display God's glory by making disciples through the gospel of grace. Now, what are we going to do with this? So what, right? So what? Well, I don't think I've preached anything new to us. Hopefully it's been a helpful refresher, a reminder of the centrality of God and in the gospel and how God has called us to enjoy him so we can display his glory to those around us. Our mission statement isn't just information to be understood, kind of like your car manual. You're trying to wonder, you know, like, how much air do I put in my tire? And you just flip through your manual and you find the number and then you fill your car up and it's done. Well, that's not our mission statement. Our mission statement isn't just something to kind of reference occasionally. Our mission statement is something that we must live out as a, as a culture, as a lifestyle. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, I have tried to think through these. Again, I'm, I'm being clear here. Um, that these are just some pastoral thoughts trying to understand some of the implications of this, right? So these are, not, um, these are not scripturally binding applications upon your heart. These are a pastor trying to take this truth of God and his glory and the gospel of grace, how can we live this out uh, in, our, in our lives this week so that we, in this year, right, uh, so that we can be on mission together. If we exist to display God's glory, how might that change our relationship with our spouse? Would our marriages look different if we no longer sought our spouse to provide our greatest enjoyment, 
It's easy to fall into patterns of selfishness that destroy, and that can show up in marriages quickly. But what if both spouses worked for each other's joy, just like God is offering himself to us for our joy? So we display God's glory not just together here, not just in some sort of united, like, we're going to reach the city, but we can display God's glory in the privacy, in those moments of our marriages where none of the other brothers and sisters in Christ see or hear. Or if we exist to display God's glory, how would that change our friendships? How might the the married couples in this church intentionally engage the singles in this church for their joy? Or how might the younger members engage older members or older members deliberately engage younger members for their spiritual good to encourage and increase their joy in God? What changes could we make to engage more with unbelieving people in our cities and in our communities and in our neighborhoods? If we exist to display God's glory, how might that retool our parenting? It's easy to let our children or our family unwittingly become our God. What if we taught our children through practical circumstances and rhythms of life that they are not the most important relationship in our life? Our children must know that but the King of kings and his glory is. And they're partners with us in experiencing and enjoying his glory. Would we let our children see God's glory as we sacrifice, as parents sacrifice and do hard things and explain to our children that sometimes we're going to do things as Christians that that you're not going to like. And God sometimes asks us to do hard things, but he's worth it. Would we let our children see this God of glory as they see their parents sacrifice and do hard things all for the sake of this glorious King? Or if we exist to display God's glory, how might that change our spending and our financial decisions? How does God intend to use our sacrificial generosity to spread a passion for his glory here in Colorado and across the globe so that our household finances look different from our unbelievers' household finances, almost in a peculiar way? But, oh, we found this treasure in this, in, this, in this field and we sold all that we had. We have all that we need in Christ. Or if we exist to display God's glory, how might that change our relationship with our Bible and prayer? Perhaps, perhaps then we can understand that, oh, time with the Lord is not a task to be completed, to check a box, but it is the King of the universe inviting us to greater depths of joy in Him. I'm sure there's more ways you can think through this. Friends, maybe you're feeling badly, right? This is the dangerous part. Maybe maybe we're all feeling badly. You know, thinking, man, boy, how little I actually live up to displaying God's glory. In fact, I get irritated during the week because they don't live for my glory. You can ask my kids and they'll say, yeah, Sean does that. Well, maybe as we're feeling badly about this, this is exactly when then we need to let the Spirit of God's conviction Direct our hearts not to more self-centered effort, but to behold our glorious Jesus. And this we're going to conclude. I want us all to look to Christ. We're never going to fulfill this mission on our own. We're never going to do it. We're going to fail. We're going to try. And by the way, this is why we need each other. We belong together. There's going to be many times in the next year that I'm going to need you to remind me, Sean, the centrality of God and His glory. I'm going to need you to help me repent when I become focused on my glory. We're going to need to do this with each other. 
But we're going to need to remember as we help each other follow Jesus that we have one who perfectly did. He fulfilled his mission. We're going to fail to live up to our mission. Jesus never did. In fact, he was surrounded by betrayal and denial and he finished his mission. He displayed God's glory so that we could then enjoy him. We have a perfect king, so every time that we fall short and every time we we drift off mission, friends, what we need to do with each other is point each other back to Christ. We have a perfect substitute, a perfect sacrifice. We serve a king of glory. I'm going to finish with John chapter 1. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is speaking of Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hear these words. And we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So as we drift, as we need to be reminded, as we help each other live out this mission, let's keep pointing each other to Christ. Whatever guilt and conviction you feel, don't run to more self-centered effort. Repent and embrace all that God is for you in Jesus. We have a perfect king, a glorious king, and he's working for our joy. And in 2019, let's help each other find greater and greater enjoyment in him. And let's pray that God would help us tell more and more to join us in enjoying our good and glorious God. Let's pray.